Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. I took my, uh, my message from the, the Torah portion, Kitetse, uh, when you go out. If I could, uh, the first scripture, I've used the, um, uh, the King James pretty much throughout today. I had one, one exception, so I just like the, uh, the beauty of the language. I, I understand the difficulties with any of the translations. They all have some positives and negatives, but I appreciate the King James. So... King James, I wanted to go through, start with uh, Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17. So 15, if a man has two wives, one beloved, another hated, and they both have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated, and if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, then it shall be when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath. For he is the beginning of his strength and the right of the firstborn is his. If you read through this Torah portion, uh, probably several things have struck you. There seems to be a lot of uh, things, some of which don't seem to necessarily apply to, to today. Uh, I don't know too many plural marriages, first off. Uh, we've heard the language of the loved and the hated wife, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, and, and even just even with sons, you know, uh, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Uh, it, it, it speaks in terms of uh, really preference, right? I mean, love one more, preferred this wife. Uh, but the language is hated on here. And I've heard many talks, many comments on these scriptures, uh, some of which have to do with um, marriage is more than just love, you know, that requires fairness, justice. There's a lot of other things involved. I, I'm going to come at it a little bit different today because this verse, like others, deals with a very specific, a very practical situation, a very practical solution to that situation. It is, of course, more than just that one specific situation, though. The author, in this case God, is telling us how we need to behave, how we need to act. And so I want to look at this in order to kind of, I, I wrestled with how I could kind of bring this to you. I, I'm going to bring this to you in, in an example of a, I was a scout leader, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and uh, I was in Arizona. Uh, I was leading a, a group of scouts, and we were going to go into a cave. I think you can look at me and know that spelunking is not necessarily my first calling in life. Um, but 
we, we went, we're going in with a bunch of, of kids, and they wanted to go into this cave. Now, there are a lot of caves in southern Arizona. They're like, all of these mountains are empty. I, I don't know why, but uh, we had been in several, uh, many of which you have to, that are more dangerous or more sensitive. I, I have to go to a, a you know, a, a, a park person, get a key, unlock them. They're tight enough, I have to stick my arms through first and then wiggle my body through to get through the opening of the cave. They're kind of very specific. But this was a free cave. This was not one I needed to go get a key for. Uh, I was there with four other, or three other scout leaders, there were four scout leaders, and, and even another person had come and was camping with us that night. But the first guy said, oh, I've been in this cave lots of times. I'm not interested in going in. You got enough people, I'm leaving. The second guy was a bigger guy, and he said, I'm not trying to go into that cave. You guys can do this without me. So it was down to me and another guy, and then this, this, this fifth guy kind of described some things, and he told me some things about what it was going to be like. And again, this is not one that they considered dangerous or anything like that, because I did know that they had had some caves that where people had fallen, it took them literally 24 hours to get them out of the cave. They broke a leg, and uh, that had not happened that long ago. But it's not a lot of room to move in there. It takes a lot of work and, and whatnot. So, so there was some danger in going into these caves. But this one was supposed to be an easy one, and that's what this guy told me. Now, the guy was talking to me and describing what it was going to be. He said, okay, when you go into it first, you have to go in backwards and then put your hips a certain way, otherwise you won't fit. I thought, okay, well, that's a... Not an encouraging beginning, but, but, but it told me something about what I was dealing with. Then he said, it's, you really can't get lost. He says, you won't be able to, you might have to get down your hands and knees, and then you'll go through for a while. And then you come into this open area where there's a really kind of a neat area. He says, there's, there's kind of a tunnel that goes down. And, and he said to me, for guys, big guys like you and me, now, I know I'm not a, a little guy, but this guy was maybe two-thirds my size. He was, I had four inches on him easy, and, and I'm guessing at least 80 pounds. And I was in shape at that time. <laughs> and I looked at him, and, I, and he was telling me how tight the fit was going to be, and I'm thinking, if it's tight for you, this is going to be trouble for me, right? And, and he said, oh, no, no. He says, first you have to go down this, this thing that's called the poop chute. He says, you slide down there. He said, oh, and remember to keep your arms above your head, otherwise they could get stuck at your side and you won't be able to get out. So I said, good safety tip, right? And then, and then he says, then when you get down below, he says, you're going to have to kind of crouch and, and bend and kind of wiggle and, and move along. But then when you open up, it gets into this big cathedral. So I said, okay, fine. There's, there's like I said, two leaders. You're always supposed to have two scout leaders when you do this. So we go in, and I have never been in this cave before. Not a huge, you know, participant in these types of things. The boys go in, of course, they have zero trouble getting in. My son is, uh, two of my sons at least were among them, and they took off. And uh, I said, do not go past this area where you go down the thing. You know, when you get to the cathedral area, don't go down the poops. You guys hang out there until we catch up to you because, you know, obviously this is a single file kind of venture. Uh, I did have to wiggle in backwards. It really was one way I could get in. It really, they weren't lying to me about how tight it was getting into the, the cave. And as we started going down the, the, the cave, I was on my hands and knees. Then it got to the point where I couldn't be on my hands and knees. I actually had to 
just wiggle with just kind of stretched out with my arms. And the guy, the other leader was behind me. We were the last two, of course, all the kids have taken off in a hurry. And we got to a point where it turned more than 90 degrees. And so I stopped and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to negotiate this corner. And the other gentleman behind me said, why are you stopped? I said, well, it turns more than 90 degrees. I'm just trying to figure out how to do this without getting stuck. He declares to me in sort of a panicked voice at this point, I can't handle this. I'm out of here. And he took off. So, so now I am alone with all of the scouts ahead of me, and I'm in the cave alone with the boys, and I've got to catch up to them before I can say anything new. <laughs> so I, I did figure out how to get through without getting stuck, and I finally got to where the boys were at. Um, and it was a tight fit. I wasn't sure the voice could get down these, this area where I certainly was not going to go down. And I looked out, and there was a big cathedral, and I thought I could maybe climb over the side and down the rocks. But if I fell, it was a good enough distance that I breaking a, a limb was a, a distinct possibility. So I had to kind of make some choices. First choice was I was not going down that chute because it was way too tight. I, I thought to myself, if I get stuck, not only do I get stuck, but nobody can come back in that direction and tell them to get me unstuck. If I had to break a leg, I remember that more than 90 degree turn, I don't know how they're gonna even get me out of this cave. So I just said, you guys go right into the cathedral. I will watch you from over top. <laughs> and, and that's kind of what we did. It was really way too tight. Why do I bring all this up? Well. In this case I, case, I was just trying to keep them safe. I was given some specific instruction that turned out to be very useful to me, right? It, it didn't, it didn't uh, tell me everything about what was going to happen. In fact, um, there were additional problems that I, that I wasn't aware of. I think that's what God is doing when he tells us some specific thing like this. He says, okay, if you have two wives, one beloved and one hated. So the first thing he kind of tells you there is that it's a very likely scenario that you're going to prefer one wife to the other. There's going to be, if you're not the preferred wife, you may say, well, I don't hate her, I just like the other one better. But I will tell you, it may not feel that way if you're not the preferred one. It may feel like hate, right? And so I think the real problem in this is a very specific example, but I don't think we know what love is. We think we know what love is. We all like to think that we have a good understanding. Of, oh, no, of course I know what love is. But stop and think about this for a little bit. I think we need to be taught to love. When I go look up love in a dictionary, I just Googled it, right? And it said, it lists definitions for love as a noun. Well, this is not the case because it said, you know, he wants us to love. So that's an action. But it, as a noun, it's just an intense feeling of deep affection. That's not terribly specific. Right? We all know what it feels like, but I don't think we know how to define it really well. And as far as actions of how we're going to do it, that was worthless. As a verb, Merriam-Webster says to hold dear. Well, that's not specific guidance. <laughs> to hold something dear is not specific at all. And I think this is the problem. I think we've experienced and we've been experiencing little specific situations since we were kids. 
because I don't think we know how to love properly. We know it when we see it. It's kind of like, I, I hate to use the analogy of pornography, but somebody's asked what pornography is. I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it. I think love is sort of the same way. I think we know it when we see it. I think we know it when we feel it. I don't think we know how to define it or even how to properly act in love. So how do we, how do we get here? You know, um, I think what happens is that we have to, to properly define it. We use examples, right? I mean, that's what we do. As a matter of fact, I think this is what you do as parents. This is what I did as a parent, right? You, you have two children. Love your brother. You tell them that. Does that mean anything to that child? It does not. Okay? So you say, hug your brother. Okay. That can sometimes be almost in a, a wrestling match when you say that. You know, don't hit your brother. Share your toys with your brother. Those are easy things, right, that we just say, this is just even telling them how to get along, right? This is what they're going to do with other people. But what are we doing? We're teaching them what we mean when we say it. We feel it. We think we know what it is. We're trying to convey it to our children. And I think that's what God is doing with us. In scriptures like this one, where he tells us in a very specific situation, this is what you're supposed to do. If you understood what love is, I wouldn't need to tell you this, but you don't, so I'm telling you. I think that's what we're getting from God. What are some of the other things? Well, when kids get older, what are we, we, we actually, our, our guidance changes a little bit. It becomes, think of others. I, I've actually used this as an example um, over the years with my teenagers, I tell them a sign of maturity is when I notice that you actually think of other people because that's the, not the normal case for a teenager. When they start actually considering other people, I feel like, okay, maybe maturity is happening. Maybe, maybe they are starting to get this a little bit. Um, you tell them to before they speak, they might consider how other people might hear what they're saying. You don't want to offend people. You have to properly learn how to show physical affection. Either too much or too little can be awkward. Um, you have to kind of tell them that one angry outburst, one physical for, for sure, that can change it. It can take a long time to recover from something like that. Very specific examples, though, if you think about what you're doing when you're telling your kids and telling other people in society, that's what we, that's what we do, right? We help each other, you know, you say that you're doing something normal and your friend says, oh my gosh, that's crazy. What are you talking about? And it, we help moderate each other's behavior, but it's through specific examples. And that is what God is doing with us. By the time they get to be on their own, we hope that our kids get it and that they can learn to love. And, and let's face it, feel, feelings come with it. You know, you, you, you know, when you see your children and you want only the good for them, you start to begin to understand what it's like for God. I've often said that, um, that the love that you feel as a parent is the closest we can feel to God's love. It's not, it's not the same. I, as a matter of fact, I used to tell my kids that the only person who loved them more than I did was God. You know, and I think it's probably a common thing for parents to tell their kids. Um, because we don't understand it perfectly, but we do love them, no matter what happens. 
And it is also limited by our own experience and our own learning, right? Not everybody, I grew up in a house where I felt loved every minute of every day. It was, uh, I'm still thankful for it. Because I learned just by the time I was in high school that that was not the situation everybody else was in. Uh, it's a real blessing that, that I didn't deserve and I didn't ask for, but I got and I appreciate it. Um, so I think that's why God is often referred to as our Father. In Isaiah 63, 16, it even refers to, Doubtless thou art our Father, though Abraham be ignorant of us and Israel acknowledge us not. Thou, O Lord, art our Father, our Redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting. I mean, clearly, the concept of God as Father is well known. And, and there are many verses, of course, from New Covenant I could bring up. I don't think I have to defend that. I think everybody understands he's, he's known as Father. When Yeshua came, he referred to him as his Father, our Father, all of this type of stuff. Why he's referred to as our Father? Is he really physically our Father? Not in that sense. He's our, he's our creator. He's our God, right? He is not, but, but in a relationship standpoint. So, do other creatures have the same relationship with God? I don't know. I, I do know that um, God knows that we're going to sin. It's his plan, and he loves us anyway. How could that not be like having a child? <laughs> you don't know exactly what's going to happen. I, I will admit to you that in my ignorance when I first had children, I thought I will love them so much that they will not want to do anything wrong. Now, I, I know that sounds silly and extremely naive. Um, and if I had thought about it myself, I love my parents, but of course, I didn't listen to all sorts of things they said, if I had just thought about it, but I was young. Um, and that's the problem when we're dealing with God. But God knows us. As, as a matter of fact, when it talks about angels, it talks about Lucifer, it says, when iniquity was found in him, he was cast from God's presence. Well, we, don't, we wouldn't stand up to that kind of scrutiny ourselves. As a matter of fact, Adam and Eve were with God and they were cast out of his presence. So perhaps the imperfections and choices are linked with our ability to choose and to choose to love and follow God. Maybe there are links there that that's why we have that kind of ability to properly love, maybe, maybe choices associated with it. I don't know. But who knows what love is? God does. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So there are several things we learn in there. I mean, God not only understands love, He is, He defines, He is love. And if we don't love, we don't know God. So loving is kind of critical for us to get a hold of, to, to get a handle on. He also tells us, John, in, the, in 1 John, it also tells us that we only love God because he first loved us. So in 1 John 4, same chapter, 19, it says, we love him because he first loved us. So God loves us, he teaches us, he's trying to guide us. He wants a relationship with us. It is not, he is not distant from us, right? So we know that we need to learn to love. We know that God is the only one who really knows, and we need to have him teach us. So who should we love? Well, Yeshua answered this question. If we go to Matthew 22, 35 through 40, 
It says, Then one of them which was a lawyer asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Yeshua said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, which we, of course, as knows, is the Behaf that comes from um, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We go through this every week. And then he, but then he followed up in this particular passage. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What do they mean? Hang. It means, in my mind, what he's saying there is if we actually knew how to love God and love our neighbors, we wouldn't need any of the other commandments. All of the other commandments are wrapped up in if we understood how to love God and love our neighbors. So if you think about all the other stuff we do, all the other commandments, really they're trying to teach us how to love God and love our neighbor, if you stop and think about it that way. Um, as a matter of fact, if we actually did it and we actually loved God, uh, then, then in fact, we will be keeping all the commandments. Won't need to tell us. That's the goal. Matter of fact, that's our graduation requirement. We're told in the New Covenant that the, the law is a schoolmaster, but we won't require a schoolmaster if we actually understand, if we actually know God and we know how to love God and we know how to love our neighbor. That's what we're shooting for. So how do we love God? Sometimes we can learn what something is by telling us what it's not. It's kind of what God did with Israel when he first brought them there. What's the first thing he said to him about the promised land? Well, let's look in Deuteronomy 12, verses 30 through 31. Take heed to thyself that thou not be snared by following them, speaking about the people already living in the land, after that they be destroyed from before thee, that thou not inquire or thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. For every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods, for even their sons and daughters have they burnt in the fire to their gods. So thing one, God said, Okay, I'm your God. Don't do what anybody else is doing to their guts. <laughs> Everything they do is wrong. Um, we, we hear that, we think that. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. It seems obvious. And, and I really don't think many people are worshiping in groves today or burning their children to Moloch. However, I do hear people that incorporate the practices of some Eastern religions and they, they try to weave them in and try to make them in concert with Scripture and some even use some nature-based or Celtic or whatever rituals, I think it's safer just to avoid all of that. Since God said, don't, I don't think mixing is a good idea. I think just stick to what God said and leave what they do alone. I think that still applies. So God tells us how to love him, and we are not to love him our way. That's another thing we do, right? Think about how ridiculous this would be in a relationship, you know, Yes, I love you, honey. I'm going out with somebody else tonight. What? Well, I love you, but that's, that's old-fashioned. I don't need to, I don't need to, let's not burden that with monogamy or something like that. I actually knew, by the way, a guy in the Air Force who told me, uh, it, I, we all know strange people, but he, he, he was 
cheating on his wife. And I, I actually talked to him about it. We were young enlisted guys. And he said, oh yeah, he says, my wife is young. She doesn't understand that sex has nothing to do with marriage. I thought, wow, somebody needs to learn something here, but I'm not sure it's your wife. Um, people do have some strange ideas. I'm sure his wife, well, I know his wife was letting him know that that was not an acceptable form of love in their relationship. Um, so we have to do way, you know, love God his way. Not, we can't say, but, but I really like doing this for God. I, I could tell you abomination after abomination. I've actually heard people tell me that they're doing because they want to show God in their way how that they love him. The reality is God doesn't want any of that, right? He doesn't want any of that. He's told us very specifically how to, how to love. What does he want us to do? Well, we could talk about the... Aserat Hadabarim, or Dabrot, Aserat Hadabrot, the Ten Statements or the Ten Commandments, right? That's the one that everybody kind of goes to. That's the, the, the token of the covenant. You know, love God, don't have any idols, don't have any graven images, don't take the Lord's name in vain, and so on and so forth. We, we know those. Um, we could go through the Feast of the Lord. Again, no stranger to that, especially in this congregation. But those are, these are things that God instituted he wants us to learn. Again, through example, he wants us to learn. So these are the things we should do. Um, to just sum it up, we could again go back to John, this time in the Gospel of John, John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Just do what I say. That's what he wants us to do. Now, that's the consistent message of both the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the Brich Hadashah, the New Covenant. And with its and it is the subject of many sermons and medrashim weekly, and rightly so. Um, a word of caution is prudent, though. Sometimes this gets reduced in some minds to certain acts, keeping certain festivals, showing up on certain days to worship. That's also error, because God wants our hearts, doesn't he? Matter of fact, uh, he's very specific. I could quote from Isaiah and things like that where they were, I don't want your feasts because you are wicked. I, you, know, you need to get yourself clean first. So God does, does care about our hearts. Let's go to Rav Shaul's message to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 13, 2 through 3, this is the classic um, scripture, the treatise on love, right? Whenever we think of love, we go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, this is where the King James, you know, though I speak with the tongue of angels, half not charity. I love that, you know, right? Um, so this is actually verses two through three. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now specific acts. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, Though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. So let's not reduce this to the idea that we can just do certain acts and that God's going to be happy with that either. God wants it all, right? He wants us to love him, and he wants us to love each other. Um, I want to move on to loving your neighbor because I think we get the idea of loving God, but again, just like the Old Testament does, when he says, love me, he almost immediately switches to loving your neighbor because he can see if he gets it, 
we, if, we, if we're getting it, by how well we love our neighbor. Because if we don't love our neighbor, we don't love him, as it says in 1 John 4.20. If a man said, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? I mean, it's pretty straightforward. So let's talk a little bit about loving your neighbor. Loving God and loving your neighbor, only two things, two commandments is all we have to do. So when you get a weekly sermon or a midrashim, you know, talking about, and when it's not talking about loving God, it's probably talking about loving your neighbor. These are the subjects we always come back to, right? Um, it's a broad subject, so I'm going to narrow it down. Actually, if you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, Yeshua expanded the idea of who we should love. I'm going to narrow it down, though. I'm going to back off from that, okay? I want to narrow our scope. I want to restrict our conversation to just fellow believers in Oklahoma. And let's narrow it down even further to just members of our own congregation here at Rosh Pina, the people that are sitting around you, the people that aren't here today or maybe working with our children. I want to get down to that level. Now, I know that can be dangerous. So as I do this, I'm going to ask to remind us and remind me, let's be gracious, let's be careful, but also honest with one another and practical. I want to get down to this level because it's only at this level that our actions are seen and felt by somebody else. That's also why it's practical, but it's also why it's dangerous, isn't it? Because we're really interacting with people. Um, so let's look at one of the first specific commandments given by Yeshua in John 13, 34 through 35. And remember, God's giving us these commandments, these specifics to help us learn what love is. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that ye love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So again, it's just love. You say, okay, we have to love each other. He gives a little specifics in there, as I have loved you. Have you ever stopped and thought to yourself, would Jesus treat them this way? Would, would Yeshua, would he have dealt with people like this? I think you have to stop and think about that. Now, different time, different, different situation. But, but again, let's be honest with ourselves. So we're not only to love our neighbor, but we're supposed to have love and hopefully show our, our love for other people. As a matter of fact, not what day we meet, not what clothes we wear, not a kippah, not, not talits, you know, not our, you know, seat seat. Those are not how people will define the followers of Yeshua. They're going to define it by whether or not you're loving your neighbor. That's the way that God's doing it. So let's go back to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. And charity, by the way, is love. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. That's Elizabethan English, and a lot of people hate it. I actually thought about using another verse, but I'd rather listen to that because I love the, the sound of that, the poetry of that verse. But let's make sure we understand it. Charity suffereth long and is kind. What does that mean? Love is patient. Love is kind. Charity envieth not 
means that love is not jealous. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, means love does not brag, it is not arrogant. So he offered similar guidance to this, not just in the Corinthians, but also to the Ephesians. He said in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Messiah's sake hath forgiven you. So I wrestled with this. I feel like I'm, I'm watching stuff going on. I, first off, I know everyone here, I've seen the love that everybody expresses here. I've seen many examples of people in this congregation loving each other. I'm not trying to attack or accuse anybody. I just want us to reflect on, on what we see and feel and consider how we act. Are we patient with one another? Are we kind to one another? Those are, those are some of the easy ones, right? Are we kind to one another? You see, in the last several months, I've seen moments when the behavior in our American society at large, at least, not, I'm not talking about Rosh Pina, but it's degenerated throughout the nation. We're seeing problems of it. People, suicides are up, abuse is up. Uh, people are just, I mean, people are just not kind to one another. Emotions are running high. There have been people that have gotten sick, some have died. Our political leaders are sometimes only can't, contributing to animosity and acrimony. There are feelings of unfairness, anger, despair, and it affects us. It affects me too. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. One of the things I do when I need some peace, and I'm a news junkie, but sometimes I turn off the news, and I drive over to a local lake. Maybe it's growing up in South Florida. I, I like seeing water. So I will look at the water. Can't tell you how peaceful that is for me. Um, the only thing better than that is watching my grandchildren. My, my kids are good to me. They will send me pictures, little videos of my grandkids. Oh my gosh, it's just, that's, that is, uh, that's my therapy, it really is. So let me give you guys some advice in dealing with this so that we can be kind and patient with one another. Because we can't control what's outside, but we can control how we act and how we react to things. And we are commanded to love one another. We are commanded to act in specific ways. So here are some of my ideas for you. Um, guard your heart. Consider what and who you're listening to. Sometimes you might need to turn stuff off. Sometimes it's fun to get all worked up with them. Sometimes it's not helpful. <laughs> if it's godless, angry, or frightening, stop listening to it. Okay? As it says in Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23, and this one I did not use the King James just because I thought that this one would hit a little bit closer to home. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Straightforward. Again, these are simple little concepts. We all know it, that if our heart's right, everything flows from that. So we guard our heart because if we, if we start feeling wrong, right, if we start having animosity one towards another, that's what the next step is. It's going to start showing in what we do. So guard your heart. Also, spend time in the Word, right? Because it will renew your mind. 
Let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is good or what that is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So pray, talk with God. Don't just talk at God and then quit and walk away. Right? We, that, could you imagine if you, if you did that with your friends? You know, say something, walk away. Like, we're not in a conversation. You, you, you need to spend some time listening to God. And, and listening is essential in any relationship, right? There's no communication without listening. So cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Let's look at Psalm 55. There's many verses for this. 55, 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And since we know we can be affected by events and people around us, and we've had a year or more, right, two years of this, uh, maybe more people would say. I mean, I, we could go back and when did it start? Who knows? But let's just, let's just say it's been rough. Um, since we know other things can affect us, let's remember that we can affect others as well, maybe positively. Wouldn't that be good, right? Um, our circle of influence may be more limited, but we can still affect those in our small circle. Hug somebody, you know, give an encouraging word. If somebody does something nice, tell them. And just be kind, just be, just be friendly. What I'm asking for is all of us to pause a little bit. Pause more, more, maybe more often than we have in the past to stop and consider our interactions. We know what love feels like. When you come here, is that what you feel? Do you feel loved when you come here? If not, why not? Are you expressing love? If not, why not? We know what love looks like. Is that what we see? If not, why not? Are we expressing love to others? And that's all this is. This is a reminder that our defining characteristic is love. And God has given us many examples in scriptures and all that we've learned throughout our lives talks about how we feel and what we see and what we think is loving and whatnot. Scripture is really good about giving us lots of examples, lots of specifics. We can't just choose to do it our own way. We've got to do it God's way, right? So let me conclude with the words of Messiah Yeshua. In John 15, 9 through 12. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. So he was doing that. He was modeling this for us. He was loving as the Father had loved him. Continue ye in my love. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even if I have, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. That's pretty good. We could use a little joy right now. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. It's again that whole example thing, modeling what, what God has already shown us. If we forget what he's done, open up your scriptures. Go see what he's done. We forget what it feels like 
spend a few moments and reacquaint yourself with what love feels like. It's a, it's a glorious thing. I hear a lot of times people talk about legalism, and I know I said I was going to quit. I will quit. But again, they all really boil down to loving God and loving your neighbor. So let's figure out what love is, and let's show people what love is. That's what we want to do. Let's pray, and then we'll do Kiddush. Our Father, Lord, we are grateful for the example that we have seen in Yeshua and the Messiah. We're, we're grateful for the instruction you provided in your scripture. Lord, we are grateful for the love that you have shown to us since the beginning of time. Lord, we are your creation. We are your servants. We are your children. Lord, we love you. And we need to show that love by loving each other. And God, we are thankful for all that you have Give us all that you continue to bless us with. And we ask for your continued guidance and correction. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.